What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Trojan Talk podcast, post-spring football edition. We are a week removed from the USC spring game, a week to digest and marinate on everything we saw both in the spring game and over the full five weeks, even though, as you'll hear us talk about, we didn't see a whole lot as media was limited to 15 to 20 minutes on Tuesdays and Thursdays to watch stretching and individual periods. So we didn't see any live team action until the spring game. That's why it was pretty valuable to take everything we had parsed from interviews and comments and our own presumptions all spring and then merge that with what we did see in the spring game. So I want to get into every storyline. This is going to be a very thorough podcast. We will be joined by my familiar co-host, our resident USC football analyst, Max Brown, the former quarterback. And I thought he had some really, really good insights and perspective on what we covered in this podcast. And we mostly focused on the offense with Max. We did hit the defense a little bit, but I wanted to really play into his strengths. And I thought he had a lot to offer. I really enjoyed that conversation with him. And then we bring on... USC beat writer for the Orange County Register, Adam Grossbard, a great writer, great friend of mine, and a guy that I talk with all spring, along with a few other writers, so we have kind of constant banter about the team and what we're seeing, and I wanted to bring that to the podcast and kind of get his final thoughts. We had not talked between us since the spring game, so it was kind of our first time hashing out our conclusions and everything, and we cover pretty much everything that wasn't covered in the first half and even kind of doubled up on a few things. So pretty full podcast. It was a fun spring. It was a fun spring. It really was. Uh, You know, uh, we definitely lamented not having the access we had last year where we got to basically watch full spring practices twice a week and you really learn what's actually happening, who's lining up where, et cetera. But I thought we got enough out of the spring. And it's also – always a good reminder to temper spring storylines because you can get a little bit out of hand with spring optimism and reading too much into spring standouts as we've done in the past and doesn't really quite manifest itself in August and then into the season. Maybe it's not the worst thing in the world that we didn't have the full access. I think we'll miss it more in fall camp and in the season. But just getting a first look at a lot of these guys, a lot of the transfers, this offense, this defense, talking to these coaches really for the, you know, not the first time, but kind of, the, you know, the first times and kind of getting to know them better and figuring out who we can get the best insight from, et cetera. So it was a great five weeks. I don't think there will be an off season or much of one because we're back in transfer portal season, or as I like to call it, emoji season. As uh, USC fans well know, the emojis on Twitter will be going out frequently, signaling another commitment, um, and many of those will be transfer portal guys. To that end, I did a big breakdown on Trojansports.com on Sunday, kind of piecing together everything we've learned about this coaching staff's process and approach to the transfer portal. And it's interesting because you know, we talked to several of these transfers this spring, and we'd always ask them, like, you know, so so. How did you hear from USC? How did it kind of unfold? And a bunch of guys told us that they heard from a USC staff member within like a half hour or an hour of hit, hitting the transfer portal. 
And I tried to ask Lincoln Riley about the mechanics of that process and how that all unfolds in real time so quickly. Um, he didn't, he didn't uh, spill the intricacies of the operation to me, but I do touch on that in the story. And also the fact that, you know, he's, since he got here, has been blunt, uh, matter of fact, candid about the roster reconstruction and saying way back in December that we're going to turn over at least 35 spots on this roster. Well, guess what? He did. Uh, saying at the start of spring and at the end of spring, we're going to bring in another wave of transfers, double-digit additions again. And so I have to assume you will. The scholarship numbers are a little interesting because we had them at 76 coming out of spring, which would leave nine spots under the 85 limit. And I checked with some of my fellow colleagues on the beat just to make sure that I wasn't missing anything, and they, they had the same number. So there could always be things behind the scenes that we're not privy to, uh, you know, scholarship status changing for guys or maybe something with an incoming recruit. It's up in question. I, I don't know. But if he says double-digit additions, I'm going to bank on that being likely. And so uh, on Sunday on the site, I broke down each position and whether they need transfers or not and where the priority needs are. And kind of if it was my chessboard to play, how I would, would utilize the pieces and then fill those spots. So look for that on TrojanSports.com. We also have a lengthy, lengthy roundtable discussion among our Trojan Sports staff, myself, Tajwar, Kanakar, and Jeff McCullough kind of combined to share all of our reflections on spring and individuals and predictions and this and that. So we have a lot up this week. We're tracking recruiting pretty tightly. Uh, USC got to commit on Sunday, Christian Pierce. Safety from Rancho Cucamonga. I kind of broke down why that was a big addition. He's a three-star prospect now, but I think it's very possible he ends up as a four-star. No guarantee, but I think it's very possible. I talked to Rivals recruiting director Adam Gorney about that, get his take. and uh, But basically, he was a, a top priority for USC. Like He was at the top of that safety board for them, and they got him. So it, it's a big deal. And it may well end up that he's the only safety they take in this class. So I'd also break all that down on the site if you want to hear more about that. Go for it. Uh, just lastly, in the housekeeping section, it was the NFL draft over the weekend. Obviously, Drake London going number eight overall to the Atlanta Falcons. Great to see that his fractured ankle didn't create any major concerns for NFL teams, didn't drop his stock at all. He's the top receiver off the board. He's the top offensive skill position guy off the board. That's really quite a statement when you think about it. That was great to see. Uh, Drake Jackson goes late in the second round to the San Francisco 49ers. Looks like a really good fit for him. There's opportunity. Running back Keontae Ingram get his shot, get drafted by the Arizona Cardinals, and it's a great fit for him there. The depth chart basically is James Conner, a declining veteran who averaged less than four yards of carry last year was really kind of most effective in short yardage. They lost Chase Edmonds, who was the number two running back, and then they have Eno Benjamin, as Pac-12 fans will recall from Arizona State, who didn't do much last year, and that's kind of their depth chart. So Keontae Ingram comes in with a, a really clear path to earning a role and maybe a major role this season with the Cardinals. So good to see that. But anyways, enough from me. Man, that was a very long intro, and – 
you will not have hurt my feelings if you fast forwarded straight through it to get to the good stuff, which is our guest, Max and Adam. Let's kick it off right now with Max Brown. Okay, we are a few days removed from the USC spring game, the much-anticipated, decently well-attended spring game in the Coliseum. And so we have to have our analyst, Max Brown, back on the show to break it all down for you. Max was actually in Colorado for the Buffaloes spring game, but he has since obviously watched the USC game and has some thoughts. Max, how are you today? I'm doing good, Ryan. Yeah, watched the spring game, lucky enough. USC spring game was one of the only ones on that, that, that made Sports Center. So watched it there. Watched it. Watched the rerun uh, recorded, and uh, it's a good good afternoon for the Trojans. Yeah, you could have been anywhere in the country and watched the spring game because it was on ESPN national audience. Great spotlight for the program. There was a lot of uh, discussion about the attendance. It was uh, definitely far better than anything I've experienced in the last four years. Uh, there was actually some buzz, a good crowd. Uh, they announced 33,000 or whatever, which would be about half the capacity of the Coliseum. Uh, I think that was certainly taking into account uh, tickets claimed and not maybe bodies in seats, but that's fine. Uh, it may still have been the most attended spring game since USC's kept track. It was definitely encouraging to see some fans come out. And it was a decently interesting game, if you want to call it a game. It was, it was two quarters of football, live football. Let's, as we always do, I think, we, we got to start with the QBs. That's that's your specialty, and that's what the fans are most interested in. It was our first glimpse at Caleb Williams in a USC uniform. Obviously, there's film on him from Oklahoma. He's a known commodity to some extent. But, Max, what's that to you about his USC debut? It looked uh, a lot like his debut in, in Oklahoma. I guess the debut in Oklahoma was against Texas, which was uh, a much more high-scoring affair, but... It looks exactly like he did in a, in a Sooner uniform. Very consistent, very clean, which is what I was most impressed with with the offense in terms of, I mean, as a, as a fan, you always forget when you're breaking in that many new pieces, an entire new offense, I was expecting offensive line busts. And I was expecting two receivers to run into the same area, you know, first time in front of fans. And those are the mistakes you're used to seeing in spring. You got very few, if any, of those um, in the spring game. But no, Caleb Williams is a stud. I think you saw the command he has, right? When things break down, it's not. There's no sense of panic, um, and he operated in a, in, a, in a great fashion. And then Miller Moss. I mean, I know this is a storyline coming out of coming out of spring on for, for many folks, but his development is is crystal clear. I mean, re- rewinding to when he got in in the Cal game to finish off last year. You could just tell the, the, the command of the scheme wasn't necessarily there. The confidence, the ability to flow, um, the ability to you know pull the trigger and make some throws wasn't necessarily there, which is totally normal as a true freshman quarterback. The jump that he's made this second spring I think is really exciting. I, I commend him for staying. I think it would not surprise me at all if a couple years from now we are highlighting Miller Moss as a guy who, you know, Went against the grain, didn't jump ship, didn't go to a Fresno State or a San Jose State or, you know, some other school to try to find an early playing time, waited his turn, and it would not surprise me at all. If anything, I'll expect it, that he would be uh, he'll, he'll be a starting quarterback for USC at some point down the line, um, and it sounds like uh, the coaches are raving about him as well. Wow, that is a hot take, I think. A, a strong take, at least. I do want to get more into Miller Moss 
in a minute. Definitely impressive. I have some thoughts of my own. Uh, just sticking with Caleb for another second, though, just to give the fans this, the numbers that they didn't see them. He started nine for nine for 90 yards and led two touchdown drives on his first two series. Uh, didn't do much after that. Finished 10 of 12 overall for 98 yards. It, we heard him say several times this spring that he was going to try and run less this year, stay in the pocket longer, not be quick to scramble. But he he did scramble quite a bit in that game, and I think that had to excite fans just to, to see his mobility uh, in action. And uh, based on that, I'm going to go ahead and assume that uh, he's going to re- remain – pretty uh pretty dual threat-esque this year and and not dial it back too much in that regard what's that to you about his athleticism and, and just his pocket presence yeah when i see him move in the pocket it reminds me of, of russell wilson not to say i know i always run the risk of you know comparing guys to, to hall of famers it's always a slippery slope but just the fact that he's never looking to run yet when he does run it's got to give a defensive coordinator absolute nightmares because he can make guys miss, and it can be a big part of his game. I mean, even in the spring game, we didn't even see a lot of the quarterback design runs that I'm sure we'll see this year. It's what Oklahoma did last year because, you know, Caleb Williams has the the athleticism to have that be part of his game, but he's also got the body type to be a huge factor in third and short, um, even goal line situations to really put fear into the defense. So, his mobility, or I guess the mesh of how it blends in his game, is what excites me the most because defensively, you have to 100% prep for him as a pocket quarterback in terms of he can operate from the pocket and you have to have all your ducks in a row coverage-wise. Yet, if it breaks down, he can make you, make you miss. And he's such a good thrower, and this offense will beat people in man coverage that if you do spy Caleb Williams – and you have one less defender in coverage and one more defender in the box spying Caleb Williams, I think he'll torch you through the air. And as a result, I don't think defenses will be able to do that, which as a result, I think it makes it more advantageous for Caleb Williams' legs to show up on those, you know, third and eight, third and nine. Uh, you, you squeeze through the defensive line, and you pick up, a, pick up a first down, and you're giving a defensive coordinator headaches. Yeah, absolutely. And on his two touchdowns, uh... I don't think it was a coincidence that both went to Mario Williams, his former teammate at Oklahoma, and certainly they have a little more uh, chemistry, connection, timing, whatever buzzword you want to use for that. And I wanted to ask you about that as a quarterback, Max. Explain how that factors in when you're in a live setting and there's one guy on the field that, that maybe you just have a little more trust and confidence in. Is it just kind of a reflex to look for that guy? Or or do you think it's just purely a coincidence that, that both those plays went to Mario? I don't think it's necessarily a coincidence, especially on fade routes where so much of it is repetition, right? There's, you know, a few different ways you can throw a fade route. It can be a back shoulder, it can be over the top, or it can be um, like the touchdown throw where it was kind of a level two ball where it's not a uh, over the top, but it has some arc on it trying to get it over the corner. And that level of comfort knowing that the receiver is going to be on the same page with you, that 100% makes a difference as a quarterback. For me, the best connection I always had when I was at SC was with uh, was with Darius Rogers. We were part of the same same units. And if I have a choice between Darius Rogers and Juju Smith-Schuster, Juju's a better receiver, but that level of comfort might make me look towards Darius Rogers uh, a little bit more just because you know exactly where he's going to be. So I think that's a real factor. And uh, 
And for me, the, the most exciting part is that felt like the role that I was expecting Taj Washington to have last year. Uh, I mean, I, I don't want to over, I don't want to overreact with only a few throws, but having Mario Williams, who's a smaller guy, you would think, Oh, that's more of a slot receiver. Last year, when they put Taj Washington outside, I'm thinking, oh, wow, all right, he'll be explosive. He'll kind of have that, call it Tyreek Hill-esque role where it's he's still operating on the outside. It feels like that's going to be Mario Williams' role this year of, hey, use your speed on the outside. I don't care if maybe you're undersized. You're still our number one receiver. Go make some plays. And it'll be fascinating to watch how uh, Mario Williams is incorporated on a weekly basis in this offense. Truly, and, and we'll get more into the playmakers after we finish the QB discussion, but while we're on it, I, I think coming in the spring, one of the main questions was who's the number one receiver on this team? Do they have a number, a number one receiver? And even though that uh, Mario was a, a top national prospect coming into Oklahoma last year, he wasn't the featured guy for the Sooners last year. He had like 300 and some receiving yards. He was kind of a third option for them. So you couldn't even point to him and say, oh, he's definitely the number one guy. Like you said, not to overreact to a small sample size, but I do think coming out of spring, I would probably point to him and say, yeah, I think he's going to have a pretty big season. Of course, we didn't see Gary Bryant, who was injured and just uh, just had really bad injury luck throughout his USC career. I don't think he's gotten through a spring or a fall camp yet without being sidelined. So that becomes a real factor at some point in, in how you project things. So I, I think that uh, Mario looks like that guy. Let's go to Miller Moss. Again, and uh, you came out of the gates hot on him. Came out swinging, baby. <laughs> I've I've always liked Miller Moss when he was a recruit. I I just uh, he had a an, an advanced poise and uh, professionalism and maturity to him, and uh, it was always a very accurate quarterback in, in high school and you know in seven on seven and all that stuff. And so I, I've always been a believer, and but I do think that we've seen him grow considerably in this time here already I think he's always been confident I, I'll always recall last year last August when we talked to Graham Harrell about Miller and he said yeah you know the thing in spring we just he, he seemed reluctant to take shots and and uh, uncork the ball and we asked Miller about that and, and he was he was kind of like put put off by the comment he goes well I just assumed that they knew I could do that I was just trying to trying to manage the offense and everything uh, he goes, but yeah, if, if they want that, I can do that. Well, he does it in the spring game uh, last weekend with a 48-yard touchdown to Kyle Ford, just a perfectly thrown ball. As he said afterward, the minute he saw man coverage, one-on-one coverage with Ford, he knew he was taking that shot and just, just you know, perfect in-stride strike. I, I guess um, I'm not even sure what my question is. I'm just more kind of just sharing my own, you know, thoughts and, and impressions about his spring and, and seeing him develop. And I, I think they have a really good tandem there. And I think that if if Caleb were to go down or miss time, I would not have much uh, doubt or, or lack of confidence in Miller. I, I would be pretty confident he could step in and, and probably do some good things in that offense. Yeah, and Ryan, did you see the quote? Didn't, didn't Lincoln say Miller Moss can start at any program in the country? Wasn't that a quote out there? Uh, it might be. I'm not recalling it right away, but he, he did say a couple times that Miller was probably the, the most improved guy throughout the spring. Uh, so it wouldn't surprise me if he said that as well, for sure. 
I could be making that up. I, I, I thought I, I thought I saw that. I don't know if it was Lincoln or, or just a reporter or something like that. But either way, I've been around enough quarterback rooms. I've been a part of enough quarterback. I know this isn't a competition, but enough spring balls where you're seeing young quarterbacks develop. And the amount of praise that Miller is getting from this staff, keep in mind, it's a staff that's seen a lot of elite quarterbacks come through. It feels genuine. It seems honest. It doesn't seem forced. It doesn't seem like it's they're just trying to love up Miller so he doesn't transfer. It feels like they have confidence in their number two dude right now. And even the, the clips that I know most of our viewers have probably seen from the, the USC um, recruiting department or I guess uh, the social media department of, of the throws that Miller yeah. is, is – is bringing the bring to the park. They seem legit. He seems like he can 100% drive this offense. And I know the the hot take at the beginning was, hey, Miller Moss is a starting quarterback in the future for USC. I wouldn't be surprised at all if you look at. I mean, assuming Caleb's going to be a three and done guy, or I guess through a USC lens, two more seasons and done. Then you got Miller and uh, Malachi Nelson down the road. You take Miller Moss's experience at that point. He's going to have a an additional. I guess call it two springs on him. That that that, that could play. That could that could be a big factor. And, and once again, all of our viewers or listeners know this. This is USC. These guys aren't slouches. This isn't just a a small town recruit. Most Pac-12 schools would have been absolutely stoked to have Miller Moss. USC was excited, but Miller Moss is a good uh, a big West Coast quarterback. So he's no slouch. And uh, I know we're getting way ahead of way ahead of ourselves. But down the road, that'll be a fun battle to watch. No, it's a good conversation to have, and it's it's a great point. You know, he, he was a highly coveted guy coming out of high school, and he got kind of overshadowed by the by the Jackson Dart uh, hype train, and 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 Dart came out a little quicker uh, last last spring and summer, and was ahead of him, and and, and just kind of changed the narrative. But those two guys were ranked uh, very close together in the national rankings, so it's not like they were on different tiers coming in. And, and Miller could have gone other places and, and maybe had a uh, maybe he's already starting somewhere if he went somewhere else. But to stick with you, with your point about the future for him, I think he was frustrated last year. And I don't even think that's uh, me having to extrapolate or infer anything. He pretty much came out and said after that Cal game, we talked to him. Riley had already been hired. We asked him about about that hire, his reaction to it, and he said, "All I want is a fair shot." Uh, implying that he didn't feel like he got a fair shot last year. I'm not going to say he, he did or didn't. Again, I think that most people who watch practice thought Jackson Dart won that competition uh, without much doubt at that time. But I, I think the difference is that I, I think Miller had a harder time taking a back seat to Jackson Dart than he does understanding that Caleb Williams is coming in this year and – uh, was the top national recruit in his class is a guy that's getting Heisman buzz already is a maybe potential early round draft pick in a couple years is a guy that Lincoln Riley recruited and has already coached and I think he understands the situation so he's not maybe viewing it the same way as he did last year when he was um, slotted behind another quarterback uh, so I, I could see him staying around but it's it's tough because like you mentioned, Malachi Nelson comes in. He's he's a five star guy. He's the top national quarterback in, in his class. A guy that Riley's recruited down to two, two schools, and a guy that is expecting himself to come in and wait maybe one year behind Caleb and then play. So I don't. I would be confident in saying that both Miller Moss and Malachi Nelson are not on the team in twenty twenty four. 
Um, but we, uh, I couldn't tell you which one is and isn't. I just think that uh, that will play out. But it's very interesting to hear you think that he could actually uh, end up in this uh, QB uh, transition progression to be the guy at some point. Every quarterback competition is different, but I can relate in some capacity to what Miller's Miller's going through. And if I'm here, if, if I'm him, this is my mentality right now. I've already been on campus for one year now, a year and a half, pushing two. Let me go to SC. Let me get my degree in three years. I'll, you know, be the backup this year. If Caleb gets hurt, sweet. I got an opportunity. It's it's my show to run. I'll be the backup next year, most likely, unless something crazy happens. And then the year after that, let me battle it out with the the, the young guy and and Nelson. If I if I don't get it. I can transfer there. I'll yeah. still have two years of eligibility, and I can, you know, accomplish all my goals with the USC degree in hand. That would be my mentality, especially because I know Miller Moss is a huge USC guy. So there's going to be a, a different level of – it's not just like, all right, this is a school. I like it. I'm, I'm playing in L.A. No, this is his – call it identity. This is his childhood dream. So that has a significant weight, and it's a big reason to, to stay. I, I don't blame him. And, uh, I mean – it's not like he's fourth or fifth on the depth chart. He's going to be two at worst case scenario. So he's uh, in striking distance either way. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because it is a major component in his story that he grew up a USC fan. It meant a lot for him to become a Trojan. The day he committed, as as he told me, he ran around his house with playing the fight song, and like like it matters for him to be at USC and to be a USC quarterback. And for that reason, I totally agree with you. I think he definitely stays now and gets his degree and sees where that competition goes and then makes a decision and that makes all the sense in the world uh, I think if he was going to uh, transfer out before then it would have happened after last season when he saw Caleb Williams coming in the fact that he stayed around knowing kind of the reality of the situation I think tells you that he's probably made a decision to, to stick it out through his degree and then hope that he wins the job at that point and like I said earlier Miller Moss is not ever lacking for confidence. So I have no doubt in his mind that he believes exactly what you're saying. I'll be the backup for a couple seasons. Maybe I get my shot earlier, but then this is my job to go win after that. So it'll be a really interesting uh, competition storyline to tackle when that time comes. But for now, let's move on elsewhere in the offense and go to the run game. And Lincoln Riley has been very, very clear and overt the spring in saying, you know, he was asked a question at one point, how he would describe his offense. And part of the question mentioned air raid, this and that. He goes, well, you know, that air raid gets thrown around because we all came from the Texas tech tree, but I, I wouldn't call this an air raid. He goes, he started throwing out stats about how they've uh, been first in the country over the last five years in yards per carry um, and, and it backs up. The numbers are pretty impressive. He wants to run the ball with this offense. I think we were all impressed last year that USA did take uh, strides in run blocking in the run game with Clay McGuire coming in last year. did a good job. What did you see Saturday that gives you confidence that this could be a, a consistent, successful rushing attack for USC? Well, my first reaction was, man, Austin Jones looks exactly like Vavai Melapei. With, uh, with 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 the num- the number six on, I was like, dang, Vi's got another uh, an- another another year of eligibility. I thought uh, he already ran out of his eight years. Um, but no, what gives me confidence is, I mean, those two guys at the top are proven commodities, right? I mean, Travis Dye, he's been doing it at Oregon for SC fans that haven't been 
keeping a pulse on the conference. Like, that dude's a stud. That dude was awfully productive at Oregon. I mean, when C.J. Verdell went down for the Ducks, I think there were some people that thought, hey, maybe they fall off. And no, that's not the case. So the running backs themselves give me confidence. The depth there, which is funny because I've read some things about concern over depth, but shoot, give me Die Jones and Barlow. I'll take those three guys going into a fall. Like, let, let's let's roll. And I thought it was cool to see Barlow and Die both returning kicks too. I think it's important to keep Barlow involved. But uh, yeah, I, offensive line-wise, I, I, I do think this is a group that – and you saw it from Lincoln Riley's temperament. I think it was after probably week two of spring ball where he was, I'll call it pleasantly surprised with the performance of the offensive line because I think, and maybe large part because of uh, because of us USC fans, the offensive line got a, a poor rap just because they weren't necessarily maybe dominant. But when you look at the stats, you look at the production, that's a group that, that can that, those starting five they can win you a Pac-12 championship they can if you get it if you get a if you get uh, injuries and whatnot that's where obviously concern comes comes about but that first five you can do some things and especially coupled with Lincoln Riley's offensive mentality and the creativity that's going to happen the offensive line I'm good with I'm good with those first five guys and so you couple that group with the uh, the running backs I like those I'm still fascinated to see just what the uh, what the workload looks like. Does Darwin Barlow get in there or is it just a one-two show between Die and Jones? If it is a one-two show between Die and Jones, is Jones more of the, you know, big playback? I'm not so sure. Is Travis Die more of the third down back or is there no difference? I think that's where it's still a little bit of a TBD. Um, but I do think Die will be the starter. I think he's the most complete of those backs. And I love his running style because even if you do have run-throughs, even if you do have missed assignments, that dude has a knack for always getting those three yards, always just bursting forward and, and not making a, a bad play worse. And, um, I mean, even big, bigger picture than that, like the the, the, the the transfers that are on this roster, like we always knew about it. Oh, look at all the new guys. Look at all the new guys. But it's crazy, man. I mean, literally six of the top seven skill players in that spring game or five of the top six are all new faces, entirely new. I mean, you talk about being able to overhaul the roster. I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here, but, man, was that extremely obvious in that spring game. Yeah, with the depth there, I think the only concern is just having only three guys and just knowing what has happened at that position, especially within this program in recent years where they've had to go down to that third and even fourth guy at times. And uh, Riley said that he wants to add another running back through the portal. I think he's going to have a hard time convincing someone to come, though, when you look at that depth chart and you see, like you just said, Die Jones, and Barlow. Who, What running back who's looking for a better opportunity is looking at that and going, oh, yeah, this is my clear path to playing time. So I'll, I'll be surprised if they do land a, a, another difference maker there. But I guess I shouldn't put anything past uh, this crew and their and their portal mining abilities. Uh, and, and, and also to your point about Roles, yeah, I got no clarity this spring. I have, I have no safe guess as to how that's going to break down. I agree that Die would seem the odds-on favorite to be the guy. Um, I, I, I tried to ask um, in several different ways. You know, do they want a one-two tandem? Do they, they want one guy you know, getting the bulk of the carries? Do they want all three involved? And I don't think I got a true answer. Uh, you know. Riley said, "Oh, there's, they're all unique skill sets. They're all going to play, but to what extent?" The truest, most candid response we got was from 
Kyle McDonald, running backs coach, who said the reality is eventually one guy rises to the top. And so I, I think that that was an acknowledgement that they're not going to force a shared role or a three-way uh, split. If there's one guy that, that they are most confident in, I think they'll they'll ride him uh, most heavily. But we'll see who that is later. With the offensive line, Max, it looked like they were, they were pulling a lot with the guards on most of those run plays. I'm not an offensive line guru. Uh, you've certainly uh, spent a lot more time around offensive lines in that group. Was that different significantly from last year, or, or, or what stood out to you about the way they were utilizing them? Yeah, I would say it is pretty significant. Um, when you look across college football, the run scheme that's taking the game by storm is, is, is GT counter, guard and tackle counter. It's where you pull the guard and tackle from one side to the other. Um, sometimes that's either guard and tight end or tackle and tight end. But that scheme is incredibly popular in college football. It puts a ton of pressure on the linebackers, and it's conducive to doing creative actions in the backfield. I preface it like that because Lincoln Riley is a big reason why that concept is, or that run concept, is taking the uh, the college game by storm. And so with that, that's his bread and butter. That's what he does. That That's his go-to run uh, run scheme. And it, it's you're asking much more of the offensive lineman in terms of, hey, we're not just stepping down and zone blocking. You have to get out of your stance. You got to pull. You got to get downhill. You got to recognize where the linebackers are coming, and it's a taller task, which is why it's awesome that USC's offensive line comes a lot of experience. They come with a lot of reps. Yes, it might be a new something new that they're asked to do, but an older, more experienced group can do that. And what I was impressed with most, and I, and I said this in the open. Um, with schemes like that, you would anticipate run-throughs. You would anticipate mistakes. You would anticipate linebackers getting through the creases. And sure, that may have happened on a, on a few plays, but by and large, that wasn't overwhelming. So in terms of assignment sound, that group's pretty dialed in. Um, so I was impressed there. I'm still waiting to see the tackles. I mean, how, how do things sort out there? Does Cortland, is Cortland Ford able to uh, to take a, uh, a big step is a, is a Haskins, you know, get healthy for the fall type of thing. But like I said, I, I feel confident with that front five and not totally insignificant, um, but obviously not groundbreaking. But I believe Justin Dietrich was a captain was. to start the uh, to start the spring game, which, I mean, he's a guy that was the rotation man a year ago. If he's a captain in the spring game, he must be doing something right behind the scenes. I know we've all heard about this gold-plated nature and guys leading the charge. And if you're a captain at a spring game, uh, as uh, I was once upon a time as well, that might be a, uh, a sign that you might be having a starting role uh, come fall. Yeah, yeah. Josh Henson, I, I think his quote was that he thought Dietrich had the best spring of any lineman. And obviously he's a guy that's that's been a, around for a while. He's been... Uh, plug-and-play starter at times. He's been the top reserve uh, for several years. He's never gotten his full chance. He has this spring as the starting right guard, but the uh, as you alluded to, uh, Bobby Haskins, the UVA transfer, uh, who many, including myself, expect to be the left tackle for this team, was out all spring. And so we don't know what the dominoes are when he returns if Cortland Ford becomes the right tackle and – Jonah Monheim gets moved inside or if he's off the bench or if Monheim wins the job or so there's still a lot to sort out there but Dietrich definitely has made a strong impression on uh, Josh Henson for sure and um, just to close the offense real fast and we'll hit the defense quickly 
we talked about Mario Williams. Were there any other of the receivers, of the, the newcomers, uh, any other of the skill guys that jumped out to you? And again, it was a small sample size. It was two quarters. They spread the ball around a lot, so I don't think we had a, a huge exposure on anybody. And it was also, you know, a very conservative – not conservative, but, uh, you know – Lincoln Riley was not pulling out all the stops in the offense. He's obviously saving stuff for the season and not putting it on film. So I don't know how much we learned, but did anything jump out to you about the other receivers? Yeah, a few guys. And I'm quickly branding myself as a uh, big Terrell Bynum fan. I feel like I'm always bringing up his name. And, uh, yeah, I've I've covered him at Washington. I'm telling you that offense was different when he was uh, involved and active, and we saw that slot fade to him. And – I forgot how big he is for a slot receiver. Like, don't get me wrong, he's not Brendan Rice or Kyle Ford, but he's on the bigger side, especially for a slot receiver. And if that's his role, if you're putting Mario Williams outside, Bynum on the inside, man, I love that duo right there. I really like Bynum. I think he gets overshadowed with Williams coming in and Brendan Rice coming in. But uh, excited about him. Uh, Love what I saw there. And then I believe Kyle Ford was the first guy to run out and not Brendan Rice in that first that first group of receivers. Yeah, he um, was, he was yep. Yeah, which is not insignificant either. I mean, coaches know the deal. They know what that looks like when you have uh, the true first string as a uh, going out there with the first quarterback in spring ball. And so if that's the case, I think that makes a lot of USC fans excited. On a human level, that makes me excited for Kyle Ford just with what he's been, been through. And then we uh, touched on it earlier, Miller Moss's deep ball to him. If he, if Kyle Ford is part of this offense, you vary in skill sets, which is so exciting. You have the big receiver in Ford. Obviously, Brendan Rice will be there a little bit too. Bynum in the slot. Mario Williams, a speedster on the outside. I thought that was exciting. Um, Got to give props to Kyron Ware-Hudson. That was a, a new face in yeah. uh, production to, to me. And then John Jackson was in there a little bit, which we don't ever really talk about him. But I'll say this. Whenever there's a new staff that comes in, you always hear the term, hey, guys, get a fresh start. Guys, get a fresh start. And you got the sense that the last staff that John Jackson was, you know, a guy that, you know, didn't get much attraction at all. And don't get me wrong. It's an uphill battle for uh, for, for John Jackson with just how, how deep that position is. But you see it every time. There's about one guy that never played under the last staff. That a new staff comes in. They get a role. For my, my years at USC, it was Javarius Buck Allen. He didn't sniff the field with uh, with Kiffin. He comes in with Sark, and obviously he was an NFL running back. Not saying J.J. is going to be an NFL receiver per se, but maybe there's a role for him if you have guys that are out with injuries or you have guys that maybe aren't adjusting the playbook well. Who knows? But that receiver group is, it looks like, much stronger than, uh, than a year ago. It's a really impressive group, and I've always liked John Jackson in practice, and He's um he's a guy that when you watch when, they, when we got to see some one on one drills last year we, we don't see that anymore this year but uh, he would win a lot of battles he's a very capable receiver but he was definitely at the end of the depth chart and uh, is has been easy to overlook for that reason maybe maybe he does get a shot this year um, you mentioned Kyron Ware Hudson uh, another guy who was overlooked last year um, for basically just because he was injured. He had a, a, a really bad hamstring injury that knocked him out of fall camp and through much of the season. And so by the time he was ready to come back and practice, it was really the tail end of a lost season. And we just never really saw him do anything. And because of that, he just kind of got lost in the shuffle in terms of perception and discussion. He was a, a, a very highly rated prospect just outside the top 100 nationally. A guy they flipped from Oregon. It was a big deal when they flipped him. 
And um, I think a, a guy that probably we were all sleeping on a little bit too much entering this spring. I think he, if, if I'm pointing the guys whose stock rose the most this spring, you can mention the Miller Moss, obviously, uh, Justin Dietrich perhaps, but also put Kyron Ware Hudson in there too. I think he's really impressed this staff. And uh, I think I'll have some role this year. Uh, on Kyle Ford, who you mentioned, I've been a very outspoken proponent of Kyle Ford. Uh, I just have uh, always been enamored by his skill set, by his unique size at that position. By you know, I'm still going to say elite hands, even though he had a couple bad drops late last year when he did get a chance. I've just seen enough of him in practices and in in uh, other situations where he just has very impressive uh, uh, and reliable hands. And I've wanted to see him get a shot. I didn't know if it was going to happen, but maybe that spring game was a sign. Maybe he does. I'll say this. Uh, Dennis Simmons, the new outside receivers coach, is one of those coaches who is very hard to pry a compelling quotes or insight out of. It's, it's normally, oh, everyone's doing well. Everyone's impressing us. Very general stuff. On Kyle Ford, though, he said, honestly, he's he's much faster than I thought watching him on film. For his size, he moves really well. And it's always been been the perceived knock on Ford was his speed or they didn't have top-end speed. It's a knock that he's himself um, kind of pushed back against and said, well, you know, I've been clocked at X miles per hour. That's pretty fast to me. I, I think he showed that he has enough speed to do what he needs to do. And uh, he's just... He's just a, a he has a veteran presence to him, even though he hasn't really played that much. And I think if he gets his shot, it'll definitely pay off. I agree. Excited for him. All right. Well, just just to close very quickly, and and we have another segment with the Orange County Registers Adam Grossport coming on. We'll get more into the defensive side of stuff with Adam, but just quick thoughts on the defense, Max. Um, I'll just mention uh, Tuli Tui Pelotu had two uh, incredible tackles for a loss where he was kind of in the backfield before Travis and I even saw, was able to look up and see him. Uh, I think he has a monster season this year. And what stood out to you about the defense overall? What stood out to me, the length on the edge. I think uh, Romello height is, is very intriguing. I thought it was also intriguing that as things currently stand, it looks like he's positioned ahead of Corey Foreman. Uh, I know Corey Foreman's been, been banged up a little bit, but either way, you get those two guys, you got a Tuli Tui Pelotu, you got a Nick Figueroa, I think that defensive end spot, the getting pressure on the outside edge, that's something I, I'm excited about. Inside is going to be pivotal for this USC defense, especially with all the movement that uh, Alex Grinch is going to do to have guys that can anchor the inside. That's going to be the big question this fall. If USC is a 8-win team versus a 10-win team, it can really come down to the interior of the defense. Uh, it was good to see Brandon Peely out there. Um, you know, Jamarcus Sakona uh, developing a little bit there, but that to me is the big question. I'm sure that's an area that they'll try to address in, in the portal as well. Uh, Shane Lee, obviously, get at linebackers, getting a ton of, of headlines, and rightfully so. I think for, from my perspective, though, people always uh, position it as, oh, wow, he's a, an Alabama linebacker and the skill set and all that. But to me, and I've never interacted with the guy, but just from observing, the leadership component is just as important. That, to me, ever since Cam Smith left about whatever it was four years ago, it feels like that defense has been searching for a leader. Yes, they had Talano Hufunga, but there's something different when it's your middle linebacker. And that room has not seen a guy that is the anchor um, for a consistent period of time from a vocal standpoint, from a leadership standpoint, from what I have observed and seen. 
and it seems like Shane Lee is, is bringing that edge, and he could really be a, really be a difference maker. I thought the backer next to him is a, is a question for me. Intrigued to see how that, how that shakes out. It looked like it was Raylan Goforth, which, hey, it's good to see guys that carry over from the previous regime find production, and, and we'll obviously see how, how things shake out there. From a secondary perspective, uh, a lot of questions for me. Um, I think they have dudes. They have capable bodies. They have lots of bodies. In terms of who are those four starting guys or five starting guys, if you include the nickel, we shall see. I think to not always have a, a, a sun is always shining mentality, I think Kalen Bullock was a guy that, hey, I'm expecting a big jump from year one to year two. I'm expecting him to be one of the starting safeties. That being said, it doesn't look like he's gained much weight uh, this past offseason, which, hey, at that size, he can be a nice – Pac-12 safety at that at that size. That dude has to gain weight to be a elite difference maker and and, and take the jump. I don't mean don't mean to, to, to call him out, but this is like this off season is where that jump needs to happen. Um, I know that's something that was on the front of the front of the coach's mind. That's something I'll be looking at going into going into fall. But I mean, McCutcheon, Blackman, you got uh, Jalen Smith, Beavers, all those guys will be in the mix this fall. Great stuff, Max. Great to have you back on. Enjoy the conversation, as always, and the insights. Thank you. It was fun, Ryan. Thanks. All right. Great stuff, as always, from Max Brown, our resident expert analyst. Uh, I thought you had some really good points there, and and uh, that Miller-Moss hot take will be one to, to keep track of moving forward. Uh, but we are not done. We are bringing you more insight, more great conversation as we welcome on one of my great friends, one of the great writers on this USC beat, the Orange County Register's Adam Grossbard. Adam, how are you? I'm good, man, but promising a great conversation before we even talked is a little bit, uh, you know, you're putting some pressure on me. As everyone knows, I'm, I'm, I'm an optimist. and uh, I... <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, then I guess I can say whatever. It will still be great. <laughs> I, I always I always skew towards the best possible outcome. We just talked to Max for a while about the spring game itself, and certainly welcome any thoughts you have on that. But I want to talk to you just about the spring as a whole. We were both out there for uh, all 15 sessions, 14 practices in the spring game. I'm going to start real general with you and just ask, as you reflect back on it, as I'm sure you have this week, what do you think we learned about this team over these last five weeks? Well, as you know, and I'm sure the listeners know, the amount that we were able to watch was very limited. But I do think that the biggest thing we learned from what, from just our being around and talking to everyone is the level of buy-in from the players. Um, the, just the way they talked and the way it feels like these past few months have kind of opened a lot of their eyes to what was wrong with the program previously. Um, it seems like there's a lot of buy-in into what Lincoln is selling, both in terms of you know the on-field stuff, but also just the off-field accountability stuff. You know, you had a veteran leader like Andrew Voorhees saying, you know, we didn't have accountability before, but now we do, and it's unconditional. Like. You know, the people are buying what Lincoln is selling. And that's probably the most important thing that Lincoln could have gotten out of the past five months. You took it right where I wanted to take it. And I was going to preface it by saying 
I really try to be careful treading in the waters of, of nebulous, um, untangible things. Uh, we talk about culture or, or stuff like that, but it was really overwhelming, the comments we got this spring. And like you said, because we, we weren't seeing a ton of actual meaningful football action, the comments were all we really had to go on to, to a large extent. And I think the comments about the culture and about the accountability were the most interesting because they were very candid. I mean, uh, there were some great quotes this spring from a lot of guys, but you mentioned Voorhees. And it was a couple of weeks ago where he, he dropped that whole insight that you just referenced. But then after the game, Saturday, after the spring game, he was asked about it again, and he said, Lincoln Riley isn't afraid to hurt people's feelings. <laughs> He's sitting right next to Riley, who kind of uh, sheepishly grins and, and laughs and looks down <laughs> while that's happening. But, I mean, if that isn't just a, a nail-on-the-head comment about the difference from the previous regime to this one, or it's we don't even have to, have to say it. Everyone knows that Clay Helton was just very – not a disciplinarian, not hard on the guys. Too nice was always the criticism. And to hear a veteran player, a 60-year player, mention the difference and that being such a positive to him that, hey, we have a coach who doesn't care if we get upset by his comment. He's going to tell us what we need to hear. That was striking to me. We had Miller Moss on the same uh, dais after the game say – and it was, it was almost like uh, Caleb Williams answered the question first, and then Moss like wanted to make sure he got to interject in his point too. And he said, "You know, just to be clear, I think we had players capable of being leaders last year, but there was no structure or platform for it to exist." And and that's just a really, really candid, insightful comment that even if, if the guys who could have done that were in place, the system wasn't in place. Now they feel it is, and. So I do put stock on that. Even though it is intangible, I do really put stock on all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, because, like, a six-year guy like Voorhees, it can go the exact opposite way, right? Like, he could come back and the coach could say something, you know, critical. And the six-year guy could go, screw that. Yeah. Like, I've been here for five years. You just got here. Like, whatever. Like, you know, not necessarily lead to a transfer, but like it could go the exact opposite way. And I, it, I think it just shows that this is something that a lot of these players, you know, they wanted, they wanted this type of culture. I'm sure a lot of them had something similar in high school. And that's why they were as successful as they were to make a roster like USC's in the first place. Like say what you want about the recruiting of the previous staff. Still difficult to make a roster like USC. Like you have to put in a lot of work. So I, I think it says a lot about the guys who were here that they did want to hear these things. They did want to have someone who challenged them. And, um, you know, I, I do think, you know, I, I asked Lincoln about this a few weeks ago and asked what was the response in the locker room. He kind of laughed at first. Um, and then kind of said, you know, it, it, like with all new things, it was a little difficult at first, but it's getting better. And, you know, I, I think that's like the most, I, I appreciated his honesty in that moment because it isn't always easy to, you know, suddenly have a disciplinarian in the room and someone who came from somewhere else and is suddenly telling you, you can't do it like this anymore. You have to be accountable. 
Um, but the fact that there has been this level of buy-in in that regard, I mean, just based off the fact that we only watched individual drills for four and a half weeks before the spring game, like that's really the biggest thing that I can take away is the fact that there does seem to be a significant level of buy-in. And it was good for Miller to chime in and say that because like, it's one thing for Caleb to say it, but Caleb doesn't know what it used to be like here. He just knows what it is now, you know, for Miller to say that it, it definitely carried some significance. And, you know, the fact that Voorhees is willing to say that stuff in front of Riley, you know, he's not afraid to hurt your feelings, but he was willing to say that sitting right next to the man. You know, it says a lot, not just about, you know, Voorhees' belief in it, but that he's comfortable talking like that in front of Lincoln, too. There's a level of trust there. And, um, yeah, I I think that was, you know, beyond, you know, the X's and O's are going to get taught. The schemes are going to get taught. They have more time for that. But, you know, when Lincoln was talking about, like, these guys have set the foundation for the culture, after the spring game, this is what he was talking about, was the guys buying into his vision for how a program should be run and for how student-athletes should conduct themselves. Yeah, and, and Voorhees also said Riley's one of the most genuine dudes I know. Like Andrew Voorhees really has not been a, a main interview target for us over the years. Up the power rankings this spring. Yeah, I, I think he's at the very top because he, he just spoke very bluntly and honestly every time we had him. And he's not a guy that would would say platitudes just to to, no. to hear how they, how they sound. So when he says that, that really speaks to how much Riley has won over this locker room. And and to the larger point you made, I, I think it underscores how important that whole roster turnover was for Riley in this program. And not to even single out any individual and say that they would not have fit into this this thing. Just taking the collective and him saying, we need to have the guys here who are going to truly buy in and be part of this and and contribute to elevating this program. And I think it kind of seen hearing what we heard through the spring underscores why it was important for him to make some very calculated decisions on who was going to be part of this team and who wasn't going to be part of this team and make sure he had the guys who he believed in that that he felt were going to uh, contribute to what he's trying to build, not just on the field, but off the field. I mean, and look at, you know, since spring has ended, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I haven't seen any USC players transfer out. And you've got that May 1st deadline coming. Yeah. Where if you enter the, tra- you enter the transfer portal after May 1st, you know, you don't automatically get that free transfer. Yeah. Um, you don't automatically get to play next season. You have to go through an appeals process. And so far, so that, you know, there is incentive if you don't buy into USC after the spring, it's time to, you know, check what your options are. And so far, we haven't seen anyone do that. So it does seem like the people that he got to stay for spring, like, you know, the people that he kind of winnowed down have bought into the vision and want to be here for what's next. And that's not insignificant for a new coach. It's it's a great point because we're, we're seeing the transfer portal rush around the country where all those guys who uh, are unhappy with their standing on the depth chart or who uh, don't feel like they fit in with a new coaching staff or hopping in the portal. And you're right, there has not been a USC guy since the end of spring and you would think if it was, was going to happen it would probably have happened this week so uh, that's a great point 
and then on the on the flip side, we'll see you know who they bring in as as he's made perfectly clear that they have uh, double digit spots to use, and he would like to use them all and and uh, really attack the portal hard, just like they did over the winter. Let's look at the guys that came in though that we saw this spring of the thirteen incoming transfers. You know, Bobby Haskins wasn't active, but we saw most of them. Who impressed you the most? Who do you think from that group you're most confident in is going to make an immediate impact for this team? The two Williams guys, man. That showing in those first couple drives in spring football was uh, really, really something. The Those two corner throws to the end zone from Caleb to Mario was like, oh, that's why you went and got those guys. Yep. Like, those were professional-level throws from Caleb, and Mario knew exactly where he needed to be and how to go up and get the ball despite his height. You know, he's going up against taller defenders, and he just knew exactly where he needed to be on those throws. And, man, those guys are going to connect a lot, a lot during the season, it feels like. And then um, the other guy who really stood out from the spring game to me was Romello Height. Like, he... He's got something there on the edge. Like he, he. Do you think Romello could start over Corey? I do. I do think so. I think that's where we're at at this point. And uh, yeah, so I, I was pretty impressed with him. Um, I, I like just have no read whatsoever on anyone beyond the defensive line on defense. Like, I, I don't know. Like, Shane Lee has obviously been the face of the change on defense next to Grinch. It's been the two of them leading the culture change over there. But I think he had three tackles in the spring game and just didn't feel like anyone linebacker or defensive back was really that impressive in spring. So it's kind of hard to tell. Um, that might have felt different if Makai Blackman were there. Yeah. Because um, I think that he's going to have a big impact too um, once he's healthy, which, like, whatever he had was a very minor thing. Not that we'll ever know. Um, but yeah, it, so those are the guys who kind of stand out to me right now. I thought it was interesting. Um, I believe it was Terrell Bynum who was in the first-team offense to start the spring game. I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, but, I mean, it looks like the receivers are all going to eat. So I, I would imagine we're going to see a lot of Brendan Rice. And you got to have a lot of Brendan Rice because then you have Jerry Rice down on the field to take pictures with recruits at the Coliseum. Right. So that's that's easy money right there. Jerry was looking like he could still play. He was looking sleek in that leather jacket and in uh, in, in good shape. I was impressed. He looked like the mayor down there. Everybody wanted everybody wanted to come take a picture with him. To your list, though, I think you hit on the, on the right names. Me and Max talked a lot about Mario and Caleb and, and their connection. And, you know, as a former quarterback himself, he said it, it really does matter when you have a little more trust with, with a certain guy. You just kind of. Uh, reflexively look their way and that's what we saw Saturday um, I, I guess the question becomes what do we think Mario Williams can do in this offense numbers wise um, obviously he was not 
the focal point last year at Oklahoma as a true freshman. So we don't have a great reference point for what his, his top end potential is stat-wise. What what volume do you think he ends up with? Well, I mean, they showed it. They can line him up outside. They can line him up inside. They're willing to do both. He has a surprising jump ball ability for someone his size. Yeah. Like, you watch his tape at Oklahoma, he can go up and get it in a way that, like, I just wouldn't have expected him to be able to do that. And he's surprisingly good after the catch. Like, even in not in the open field. Like, he can really break tackles. He can slip free. I, I think there's a lot of potential there um, to be a number one receiver. Like, genuinely, I think he can be the number one guy. I don't know if he will be the number, but, like, does kind of feel like he's that guy at this point, especially after, you know, you saw he was the guy Caleb looked to when he needed a throw. And he's really good down there along the boundary. Like, he, he's, yeah. I mean, just watching the Oklahoma tape, I, I think he can be that guy for USC. I, I think he's going to be, I, I think he can go up and catch like 80, 90 balls and have a really, really, really productive year. Yeah, I, I think I'm setting the, the bar conservatively at 1,000 yards. I think, I think he's a 1,000-yard receiver. I may skew a little bit lower on the catch total, maybe like 70. But I, I don't think anyone's right now challenging him for that number one spot. And I don't know I don't know, I don't know who would. And, you know, Gary Bryant was kind of the top guy coming back, but he can't stay healthy. And, and at some point he's, he's got to make it through a full spring or a full fall camp or a full season before you can put him in that conversation. So, yeah, I think Mario's is going to be the number one guy, and uh, it'll be very interesting to see how the rest of it shakes out, though, because like you said with Terrell Bynum, I think we all just kind of uh, not overlooked him but put more emphasis on Brendan Rice because he's this physically impressive guy that you just look at and go, wow, that, that's a player, and, and Mario, of course, and he kind of got overshadowed by the other transfers that came in after him. But I, I am now more convinced after these last five weeks that he will have a major role uh, but I have no guess on how the, the rest of the uh, target distribution is going to play out this year. So that'll be interesting to track. Um, other guys you mentioned, Romello Height, along with, with Rice, if, if you were making a, uh, an all-spring team of guys who just look like they are meant to be great players, <laughs> it's, it, it's those two at the top of the list. And, and Romello Height especially, it's just like a prototypical person you want at that as they call it, rush end. Uh, you can call it outside linebacker. You can call it whatever you want to call it. At that spot, he is just built for that position and impressed all spring from what the limited stuff we saw, uh, generated the best feedback among that group all spring. And I don't think that it's even a question of can he start over Corey. I, I think he's going to start over Corey. And the question just remains what kind of role can Corey Foreman uh carve out for himself in that rotation but I think that Romello Height is the guy at that spot and it would take a lot to unseat him as of right now I would confidently peg Height as the starter at that spot yeah yeah I, I, I'm not even sure I have anything to add he was yeah. really impressive off the edge there it, um, we just we, I don't know it's like Corey's two tackles came in like passing 
coverage situation where he dropped in coverage and wasn't looking off the edge. And Corey was really going against the second team line most of the day. But like height got to Caleb before Caleb could even register that he was coming. That's not easy to do. You just ate Cortland Ford's lunch. <laughs> and uh yeah, I mean you know, and like Cortland, yeah, he's young, but like he's not a bad tackle. But height was just so quick off the line on that play and he had a great read on what was gonna play. It was just a really impressive play. So I'm I'm buying all the level height stock right now, as long as he stays healthy. Definitely same. Um you mentioned Mackay Blackman. Again, this is purely a case of us just taking what the coaches are saying and applying stock to it because there's we saw nothing to even evaluate in terms of do cone drills <laughs> right that's all we saw him do all spring but uh you you heard it from lincoln riley you heard it from dante williams that you know he, he was the best playmaker in the defensive backfield all spring he brought a veteran presence so i i heard enough to kind of lock him in as, as one of the starters there but that's purely based on on commentary and nothing that i have to personally add or offer I have nothing else to say. Yeah, <laughs> it's 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 the same case. Else I could have seen or noticed that didn't. So yeah, it's it's the same case with Shane Lee. Again, we, we just there's almost like it was almost like there was like a like a Heisman like marketing campaign for Shane Lee as this great leader and um, culture changer with the program. It was just so. Uh, overt and, and consistent and effusive about the difference this guy has made from day one. And and it wasn't just the coaches. We heard it from players. Like, you, you asked yeah. ask Rajon like, Davis about him. He's like, oh, that guy, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Rajon made it sound like Shane Lee was the older brother. I think that's where it comes. Like, you're right, it did feel not quite, but like that was the message that everyone wanted to get out. But it also felt very genuine. Like, it didn't feel forced, you know, it felt like, no, this guy has really, you know, he's brought a lot of people along with him. And uh, I think he will be really good. It's just, you know, from the spring games, very hard to get a read on anything. I I don't know, the, the defense... It felt more like the offense, specifically the offensive line, kind of faltered in the second half. I really have no read on the linebackers or defensive backs and how they performed in spring. I, nothing too impressive. and They need a lot of help still in that area. And I'm sure we'll talk about it, but like Transfer Portal really, really needs to focus on linebacker and cornerback this uh, summer. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And just to the point of, of us not having a great evaluation opportunity, that's just going to be the reality moving forward with this new regime. I mean, we we were maybe a little spoiled uh, previously. Uh, if there was one one thing we'll miss from the previous regime, it's that we saw a lot of practice and we actually got a, we got a true sense for what was happening, who was doing well, where guys stood, and that's just not going to happen 
uh, anymore. So until we see real games, all we can do is is try to uh, vet these comments, par- par- parse the comments as best we can, and and see what, what, what we believe and and what uh, what makes sense logically. So, yep, uh, you know, hopefully Shane Lee's a true difference maker in the middle there and, and has a profound impact on this defense. But I, I can't tell you for sure that I've seen anything to say that's going to happen. I've just I've heard I've heard a lot. So we'll see in the fall. Beyond the transfer, guys, let's talk about just overall stock risers for the spring. Um, and I won't even put any defined number on it. Just is there anybody else to you that – clearly uh, elevated their stock over the last five weeks. Kyron Ware Hudson. Yep, that's the guy. That's the guy, right? Like, he was very impressive in the spring. We'd heard a lot of good things about him. He knew he had to be impressive because Keely, the one reporter who gets to watch everything because she's in-house now for USC, uh, was asking questions about him. So that was, like, kind of your first hint, like, oh, okay, Something's happening in practice with him. And, uh, yeah, he was very impressive in the spring game. Those boundary catches he was making were really not things we saw from him in the past. And I, I think he is playing himself into a really nice role for a receiver. I would say just, just the volume of, of what he got in the spring game kind of spoke to where he, his standing, where he was – as involved as anybody in that receiver group. Mm-hmm. And so, He's the most involved of any of the returning receivers, other than, I guess, Jude Wolf, because Miller Moss really likes throwing to Jude Wolf. Right. Um, but yeah, so Kyron Ware Hudson's the big one for me. I guess Jude, too. Um, but, uh. <sighs> I'll, I'll throw a name in there. I, I, I'll second you on both those points. And, and we talked to Jude and the coaches a lot about this whole H-back role that, that he's been playing this spring. I don't know that I learned a whole lot about it from the spring game, uh, so we'll just kind of wait and see on that. But he definitely got a lot of buzz. I'll, I'll throw a name out there and, and say, uh, you know, Max Gibbs got some praise as one of those second-team linemen who, who maybe is is um, helping with the depth a little bit, him and Mason Murphy. I think both those guys probably rose their stock a little bit. Yeah, the Max, man, when Max gets on the field as an actual offensive lineman instead of burning his red shirt to play five games at defensive tackle or whatever it was, um, yeah, Max, I'm very curious to see Max in like a real game situation because his story is really incredible and what he's done to put himself in position to make this type of rise. I'm, I, I am keeping an eye on him. I don't expect it to be this year, but in a year or two when some of these vets are gone, it'll be really, really interesting to see where Max Gibbs' story goes. Um, one guy who is not someone who, you know, this is someone who was a big name for this team the past couple of years, but it feels like he's taking the next step is Thule. Yeah. Like, Thule feels like he's ready to be, like, in the conversation for all Pac-12, maybe even All-American. Like, he feels like he is ready to really blow up in a big way. Um, especially now with, uh, you know, he'll be able to play a little bit more outside, just kind of take advantage. This defense, I think, is going to take advantage of Tuli's ability to play 
all across the line in a way that the previous defense was basically just asking him to be an undersized defensive tackle and take up blockers. And I, I don't think that that's what they're going to settle on for Julie anymore. I think he's ready to take on a big role. Yeah, I, I think I think he's going to be put in a better situation and have more help around him. And I tried to get at that with him after the spring game Saturday when I asked him, you know, is, is your role different this year? Is this defense uh, allowing you to do more? And while his response was was not uh, all that insightful, it was it was pretty funny. I, I enjoyed it. He said, uh, "I just play ball." <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I think that's going to be something you need to sit down with the coaches on and be like, okay, so Mr. Nua, what are you doing here? Like, how how are you? What what are you doing with Tuli? But um, no, I, I I think Tuli is ready to take that like superstar jump this year. If anyone on the on US the pre, if anyone returning from last year's roster is ready to take the superstar jump, it's it's Tuli. Yeah, yeah, uh, you know we're we're talking on the day of the start of the NFL draft, and if you look at who might be the guys in this next year, I think I think he's a guy that's really intriguing to see how high he can raise his stock. Um, one last name though on on the spring stock risers that I'll add uh, is is the other Max Max Williams who uh, is, is a great story in his own right. But also, you know, I didn't know. So yeah, he was coming back from a second ACL tear. Obviously, that's that's one main obstacle and hurdle. But also, he had to impress an entirely new coaching staff. And he was one of those guys that had totally won over the previous staff. Uh, they, were, they were so high on Max, and it's unfortunate that he never really had to, you know, make an impact for them and play for them. But that, all, all that um, – equity was lost and he had to start over with this new staff and he's not a big guy and so you wonder if if he's going to be able to make the same impression and, and by all accounts he has uh i think alex grinch's quote was you know we could use a lot more max williams on this team um i think he's going to be get every chance to be that starting nickel and uh and just hopefully you hope he stays healthy and can kind of see his story through to this great uh this great overcoming per- perseverance and, and odds and, and back after two knee surgeries and, and finally a chance to be the guy and show his potential. So I would definitely have to add him to the stock risers list for sure. Yeah. I think he was one of the first guys who got gold plated too. So the, there's that's staff wide. It's not just Grinch, like the entire staff bought into Max and thought he would be one of the first guys who deserved to, you know, get the Trojan on the side of his helmet and, you know, be made an example of in a positive way in front of his teammates, you know, like this is a guy who earned it. So I, I think, yeah, that Max is going to get a shot for sure as long as he stays healthy. And, I mean, there's no clear guy at nickel and they want to have guys who are versatile and I feel like he can play a bunch of different positions. And I, I think we're going to see a lot of Max uh, next year for sure unless they really go crazy with their additions in the secondary that's true that's, that's always the, the 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 unspoken variable is we don't know who these next 10 players who are going to come in um what spots they're going to play what they're going to do etc well moving on to one other topic I, I always get questions from people on our board our great subscribers occasionally they'll ask you know who are the best interviews who are the guys you like talking to the most and I'm going to focus this on the coaches, all the, these new assistant coaches. We 
talked to all of them at least a couple times, most of them, you know, three or four times over the course of the spring. Coming out of that, who from the staff do you enjoy interviewing the most? Who's the most insightful? Who really impressed you? Roy Manning. That's the guy. He's a very, very honest human being, as is Josh Henson. Didn't feel like they BSed us once, not even like coach speak stuff. Like it was just very straight off the cuff, like very, you know, just like they understood, like we're telling you so you can tell the fans the truth. And um, that's very much appreciated. Um, I also found Alex Brinch to be very enlightening. I felt like he, you know, other than transcribing him, because he is a very fast speaker, um, he just felt like he gave a lot of insight, even beyond like what the question was that you were asking. Felt like he kind of understood what you were trying to get at and would kind of answer questions before you ask them. And that's always appreciated because then we get to ask different questions and that's nice. We get to cover more ground. So those are the three who really stood out to me. I think my list would be exactly the same with Grinch. I came away just impressed by his football mind. I think no matter what you asked, he had a, a really in-depth, well thought out, uh, well articulated answer um, and he was he was really trying to pass along some insight into to inform you uh, about the whatever you were asking about, and then yeah, Roy Manning was was just the the most consistent, most reliable, best quote. You were getting to the heart of the matter with whatever you asked Roy Manning, and I mean honestly, I I would need to study his resume more and and his own ambitions, but personality wise, he's a guy I could see being a head coach one day just based on his personality absolutely, absolutely. and uh yeah and then josh henson was just the same as the other guys just like very straight shooter and you know very honest like beginning of spring yeah we we don't really have the depth right now for the second team but here is what our first team is looking like at this moment and just like you know, when we weren't able to view practice, we knew where the offensive line stood because of Josh Henson, and that was really, really helpful. Yeah, he, he wasn't guarded at all. There, there was no defense around him. He's just, what do you want to know? Okay, yeah, this is this, that's that. This guy's here. Um, so, yeah, that's I was impressed by him as well. So we're on the same page. That, that means that uh, we either – we're looking through the same narrow blinders at the same thing, or or, or we talked too much already this spring and we had the same opinions, or yeah. we were seeing the truth. We were seeing the, seeing it for what it was. Just to close, just, just lastly, it's it's still very premature. It's still very early in the process of building this roster, let alone uh, this team. But what? And we're not going to hold you to this. Uh, we can you can change your opinion in, in, in fall camp, but what is your confidence level now in the upside uh, potential for this team in 2022? Not sure that it's changed significantly. I think the spring game, in my opinion, confirms what we kind of already knew. This offense is going to be really, really good. And as long as they don't get in their own way, they're going to be able to move the football and score points. Um, 
and I don't know a lot about this defense other than they've got a few really good pass rushers. That's kind of where I'm at. I still think the schedule is incredibly favorable to Lincoln Riley in his first year. Eight games in Los Angeles County, seven at the Coliseum. Um, Only four real road games. Really the only tough one out of them is to Salt Lake City. You even get Notre Dame at home this year. No Oregon, no Washington. Like, they, they are in position. If you told me that they won the South and are in the Pac-12 title game at the end of the season, I wouldn't be surprised just because of how the schedule lines up. Now, does that mean, like, I think that they are deserving of these preseason top 10 rankings I'm seeing? I don't think so yet. I don't think the defense is at that level yet. Um, I mean, I'm curious, do you feel the same way? Like, I, I felt like the defense, other than the pass rush, just really didn't do a lot in the spring game. I didn't feel there was no great plays in the secondary. There were no, you know, linebacker coming up and blowing up a play, really, other than, like, a couple of instances. It just kind of felt like, you know, the the offense did what it wanted until it made a mistake. Yeah, I don't think that we learned anything about the major questions in the defense overall. All those questions, for me, carry over to fall camp, and they'll probably carry over until the season. Until we see an actual game, I'm not going to have any confidence that I can say that the linebacker plays better or that replacing every starter in the secondary is not a problem um, or or that the interior of the defensive line is going to be better. I, I can't answer any of those questions. And I'm also a little gun-shy and snake-bitten by having confidence in the defense last year and saying, oh, well, you know, a, a full year in the system with with Tyler Lando. I mean, just based on that alone, they're going to take a step forward. And then, well, bam. Um, yeah, that was not my best take. Um, Either that or the lesson should be we came out of spring last year saying, wow, this defense is going to be great. I don't know about this offense. Right. So maybe we should be saying this defense <laughs> this year is probably going to outperform what we expect, and this offense is only going to score 10 points a game. Uh, yeah, based well, off last, but I, I, I feel a little bit more confident in the offense. No, I'm, I'm a defense I'm, last year. I'm, I'm just joking. But of course. I'm I, a, I, I, I think, yeah, I, I, I still think they can win the South because of how everything lined up, just like stars aligning for Lincoln Riley in this case, but um, I just don't know. I don't know. We talked about all those transfer spots. If you can get a third quarterback, do it. If you can get a couple more offensive linemen, do it. Otherwise, just all of those scholarships should go to increasing depth and competition on defense. Well, it's better that you said it than I in terms of the uh... – potential to win the the Pac-12 South and be in that championship game because, as we know, I am uh, historically uh, skewing a little more optimistic about things. So uh, I I won't uh, rain down any more sunshine upon anybody, um, but I do agree with you. And for me, it is, it is really just based on, look, I mean, Lincoln Riley's track record is pretty airtight. Uh, you, mm-hmm. you, you come into this saying this is going to be a good offense based – just on him alone and what he's done 
but then you look at you go position by position and there's not a, a skill position you don't like uh, that receiver room is so intriguing so deep even if a couple of those guys don't become what we think they can or they get hurt there's so many options there they, they have more options and they know, know what to do with right now so uh no doubts there the running backs you got three veteran guys who have all done stuff at the college level at different places and the guy in Travis Dye who has nearly 4,000 career rushing and receiving yards. Uh, so it's hard to not be bullish on that. Uh, Caleb Williams is a Heisman Trophy candidate already. He's, what, second or third best odds of anybody at this point in the country. Uh, so you couple all that together, and I just do not see any way that this offense is not a top 25 national offense, if not much higher. And on that alone... I think that with the schedule you mentioned uh, puts them in a really good spot. You assume that the defense can't be worse than last year because it's never been worse in USC history than last year. So take some any marginal growth there, and that's how I come to the conclusion of uh, exactly what you said. I, I think that they it's, it's that Utah game and what happens there will likely decide the Pac-12 South. And honestly, across the board, there's no team that overly scares me in this conference. Uh, Oregon's uh, totally rebranding itself with a new staff and a, a new identity. So you can't even just point to their recent dominance and say, well, well, that's the team that is the favorite because we don't know what they have. They're going to have a new quarterback. They have a new stuff across the board. So it's wide open. And I don't, I w- I'll say this, I, I wouldn't put any limitation on what this team can do in, in Riley's first year. Uh, I don't want to attach myself to a, a firm prediction on what they will do, but I won't put any limitation on what they can do. Yeah, I agree. Like I, they can like the schedule just works out in such a way, but I'll just be very, very curious to see which bodies are added on defense because uh, if they really want to be serious, like they got enough receivers, they got enough, you know, starting caliber running back, starting caliber tight ends and linemen and quarterbacks, but they need a couple more linebackers. They need five more cornerbacks. Like they, they just need bodies on defense because right now you're kind of staring down the possibility of kind of running back last year's defense in a, in a certain sense. And that's just not ideal. Yep. So we'll see what happens. Uh, you and I are now firmly on portal watch for the next however many months. Uh, e- emoji watch, if you will. Sure. And uh, so there's there's no no true off season here. We'll keep it going. But uh, great stuff, Adam. Thanks for joining the show again. Uh, great to have you back on. And we're either both right or both really wrong about what we saw this spring. <laughs> well, we didn't see a lot, so we'll see. <laughs> Good stuff. Thanks, buddy. All right, thanks, Ryan. That's it. That's the show. I hope you enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Enjoyed putting that together. Enjoyed catching up with the guys. Always like having Max come on, and uh, I thought I got a lot out of that conversation today myself. Hopefully you enjoyed it, and uh, great to have Adam Grossbart back on the show for, I think, the third time. He's in the regular rotation among my friends on the beat. You've heard Antonio Morales from The Athletic a few times. You've heard... Ryan Karchi from the L.A. Times. You've heard Brady McCullough from the L.A. Times. And you've heard Adam Grossbart from the Orange County Register. 
So we'll always keep bringing in more voices. But yeah, strap in for emoji season, transfer portal season, and let's see where this USC roster goes from here. We will find an occasion to get back with you before long and uh, have something compelling to uh, discuss here, as always. Until next time.